Man. There is a current stirring deep inside. It's overflowing from the heart of God, the blood of heaven. Crushing over us, the tide is rising. Bursting, bursting up from the ground. Test. How's that? Hey, uh, let's. Hey, hey, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> He's going to go get the lapel mic. You say, why is that? Because, see, uh, this, you might as well put a ball and chain on me. Because after a while, I'm going to get to preaching like this, and every now and then it'll, it's really hard on the sound men. Let's put it that way. So how many, and, <laughs> well, I've just thought that maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> Don't ask. Don't ask. What's the, what's the, don't ask, don't tell. That's, <laughs> yes, you do, Shannon. You like it. I know you, that's right. Amen. We did do a little, something a little different, but you know what? That's okay. And so we're, uh, well, hang on. I have to just do it on top. Well, no. It, it it will be much better for me. I'm having fun. Well, that don't work. No, the clip is on backwards. There you go. Is anybody getting this recorded so you can put it on Facebook? When I really have a great, great night, it's not recorded. When any time I make mistakes or I look exceptionally fat or, you know, then those things, uh, you know, you say, you look exceptionally fat. Yeah, I can look fatter than I look right now. Just put me on camera. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. You know what, tonight I want to pick on some human nature a little bit if I can. Um, ultimately, I, how many want to have a good Christmas this year? Raise your hand if you want to have a good Christmas. Now, you know, when you say that, when, you, when we make a statement that I want to have a good Christmas, if you're anything like my daughter, then that means lots of presents under the tree, right? That, that's, that's what that means because we, we already got some presents under the daughter. Uh, under the daughter. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the Freudian. We already have some presents under the tree, but they're not for my daughter. They're for my grandson, Oliver. And Amy comes in today from work, and she goes, who are those presents for? They went, what, they're for Oliver. It's just, what? And Titus. It says, man, that bugs me. She goes, are you guys going to get me anything? No, we're done. You're, you're, you hit, you, when you hit 19, you, you get a pat on the back, and God bless you. Be filled, be blessed, be gone, you know. But sometimes we measure our Christmas, you know, we measure it by what we get. And, or, or maybe we're not that superficial. We, we measure it by what we eat. Is Christmas dinner good? I, I guess that is kind of superficial. But the bottom line was, and maybe we're, maybe we're going to be a little bit more emotional and say something like, well, a good Christmas is spending time with family. You know, and that, that, that's probably a little more appropriate, and that, that has some good friends, good family, you know, making those connections. But I think all of us want to have a good Christmas. At, you know, no matter how you measure it, and it should be good because Christmas is a season of joy, isn't it? You remember the angels, hark the herald angels sing, you know, joy to the world, you know, the Savior's come, all of that. Christmas is a season of joy, but the problem is this morning that or this evening Christmas can be for many it can be a season of great discontentment as well. Sometimes, and I want to pick on human nature a little bit. Sometimes people can be really unhappy. I know that's hard to believe, but have you ever met some frustrated, unhappy, resentful, irritated, uneasy? People, have you ever met those people? Maybe when you're Christmas shopping at Walmart, <laughs> everybody's in the way, and you know the lines are long, and it's like you know pushing and shoving to get the deal. How about Black Friday? You know when we people try to go. People are waiting in line for days, for days, waiting for the store to open on Black Friday getting their place in line. And what's happened is we can take the joy right out of Christmas, can't we? We can rob ourselves of what Christmas really is all about. And this really should not be that way. It just shouldn't be that way. Now, look, at, I'm not going to get up here tonight and preach on the commercialism of Christmas and, you know, and how that's all been hijacked because, you know what, at the end of the day, I like presents too. At the end of the day, I like having a good Christmas dinner and I enjoy all of that. I enjoy, you know, the Christmas season and lights and stuff like that. Now, I don't like putting them up, so I don't do that. But the reality is, is I like this season, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to downplay that, but I am going to remind us that we really do need to pay attention to what this season is all about. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if there is a single word tonight that describes what Christmas really is all about, it is that word, peace. But I wonder tonight, as we're sitting here, I wonder how many of us are really feeling that kind of peace. How many of us are peaceful in this place? Because, you know, for most people, Christmas has become stressful. It's become chaotic. It's become exhausting. There's presents, there's parties, there's people spending money that we don't have for things that we don't want for people that ultimately we don't care about. And it all tends to be filled with drama, doesn't it? And even for Christians, it can be filled with drama. For those of us who should know better, we struggle at this time of the year. Christmas should be filled with great joy and peace, but it ends up being buried under a mountain of chaos. And in many ways, we end up critical. We end up ungrateful. We end up complaining, suspicious, envious, jealous, demanding, and even angry. Somehow thinking that our circumstances are justifying our feelings When in reality, what has happened is a very ugly thing called discontentment has crept in. Now, you could put that opening slide on here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to be content. Because I think that's the secret to having a good Christmas. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. (coughs) Discontentment, church, has become the cancer that eats away at our faith. It eats away at our gratitude. It eats away at our peace of mind and our joy. It destroys our outlook on life. And you know what discontentment does is it produces a terminal jaundice so that everything looks negative. That's what discontentment does. And for many... This is a very real and serious problem. That's why so many people spend so much time looking and spending energy looking for something better. The problem is, is we rarely find it, do we? But if we're going to enjoy Christmas, if we're going to really ultimately enjoy all that God has for our lives then we're going to have to learn the secret of contentment. And my hope is this evening that I can help you find what true contentment is and how you can get it. So turn in your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 4. We will be starting with verse 10. It will be on the screen here in just one moment. And I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. The Bible says these words. He says, I I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned 
to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, that's an important scripture tonight. It's a, it's a scripture that's worthy of our attention. Amen? Now, the first thing that I want to look at here is where does all this discontentment that we struggle with, where does it come from? Because listen to me, let, let's, just, let's, let's get real, let's get honest, okay? Not all of us are walking around just filled with peace. Right. We have moments of it. I'm not saying that we don't. We're not walking around with joy and, you know, all of that. We're not all patient and long-suffering. We, we have moments of it where it's better than others, but generally speaking, we're a little miffed. We turn on the radio or the TV and we listen to the news. And whether you agree with the politics of the day or not, it usually is a source of irritation we drive down the road in traffic, and that can be a source of irritation. Going to stores and working with people and coming to church can be a source. It's like, what's that pastor thinking? Why is he moving the chairs around? Now where am I going to sit? Hey, there's still chairs here. But it's a little irritating, isn't it? It's like, come on, man. It was working so well. I had my butt prints in my chair. It, it was molded to my form, and it made me feel good. But you came in, and now you're irritating me. Where does all that come from? Well, I believe this evening <coughs> that it comes from a sense of lack. I want you to pay attention. So I'm going to take you down a road here that will help you. It won't just help you in this season. It will help you in your walk with God. Because I believe this problem that we deal with, this irritability, this, this uneasiness, this sense of discontentment, this lack of joy and peace, where does it come from? It comes from this thing called lack. And lack was birthed into... The, human nature a long, long time ago, because much of what we struggle with in discontentment is the fact that we feel like we're lacking. So I want you to think about it with me. One of the most unrealized and misunderstood promises in the word of God is found in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. The Bible says these words, now, I want you to listen to this because the Bible is speaking about you, your condition right now, independent of your circumstances, irrelevant of your checking account. It doesn't matter what house you live in. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. This verse is speaking about the truth that exists in your life right now. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Think about that. The Bible says you 
are complete. Right now. Irregardless of the circumstances, it doesn't matter what your boss says, it doesn't matter what your bank account, it doesn't matter what your neighbor, your children, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, it may be you are, if you are saved, you are complete in him. The problem is, though, that oftentimes is unrealized in our life. See, when we're caught in the cycle of lack, that seems so foreign to us. Because when we're caught in the cycle of lack, we tend to feel empty. We tend to feel vulnerable. We feel unsatisfied. We feel slighted or left out or longing for more or searching for something different. Especially when things are difficult. This sense of lack is so rooted in us that even when we are given more, it's never enough. We always want something different. Think about it for a moment. When we're young, we want to be older. You know where I'm going. When we're older, we want to be younger. When we have something old, we want something new. And if we have something new, we want something newer. If we have something big, we want something bigger. If it's big, then we want it really big. If we have $100, we want $200. If we have $200, we want $500. If we have an apartment, we want a condo. If we have a condo, we want a house. If we have a house, we want a bigger house, a new house, a nicer house. Or maybe we want to scale down and live into a smaller apartment. If we have a job, we dream of a better job. We think of a better job, a closer job, a bigger office, a better boss, better benefits, more challenge, bigger opportunity, nice people to work for. And the list can go on and on and on of what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we do have. Come on now. The Bible says, not John Poole, the Bible says... You are complete in him. He didn't say you're complete if. He said in him you're complete. Now this idea is not a new idea. This is the very first thing Satan used against Adam and Eve. Think about it. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, the devil is speaking. He's speaking to Eve. And just in case you think Adam was not there, you have to read on because he's right there. He's just being a bonehead and not doing nothing. The Bible says it was the woman that was deceived. Adam just sold the farm. And I shall be speaking to him when we all get to heaven. Hey, bro, you could have saved us a whole lot of trouble. But no. So the devil's talking to Eve, and in verse 5 of Genesis 3, he says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, talking about the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happened? What's going on? Well, the devil is convincing Eve that she's lacking, that there was something more to be had. God really was holding out on her. What she had was not enough. 
That's what's happening. And once she believed the lies, she became vulnerable to every temptation and every emotional twist the devil would throw. No longer was God enough for her. She had to have more. And for the first time in humanity, there was discontentment. In the midst of perfection, she felt like something was missing. The devil convinced her that she could be like God. And here's the insane thing. She already was like God. And the absurdity of it all is that nothing, nothing could have improved the quality of her life. And in the end, Adam and Eve abandoned the blessing of God. They forgot the promise of God. And they set out to find contentment, fulfillment, and satisfaction on their own. Are you hearing that? And the result is sin, wasn't it? This is the very thing that happens to us. It happens all the time. Listen, Jesus said these words. In John 10.10, he says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's Jesus' purpose. He says, I have come. There's many reasons he came, but one of them is that we would have life, and not just any kind of life, but abundant kind of life. (laughs) Somehow, in the midst of these promises, this being complete in him, and this promise of abundant life, we set out searching for fulfillment. We think there's more to be had, that somehow God's holding back, that God's not giving it all to us. And the essence of it all is we allow this thing called discontentment to dwarf what God has done in our lives. Now, when we look at our text, there is a phrase that I think we need to pay a close attention to because Paul starts out and he says, I have learned to be content. Are you hearing me? When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, you need to understand he was in prison in Rome in horrible conditions. His situation had degenerated. He started off in a really cool place, but by the time the book of Philippians is being written, it is degenerated, and he writes this letter of encouragement. He writes this letter of thanksgiving. It's a letter of assurance. And these people had heard of Paul's difficulties and they were concerned and they were moved and they wanted to do something for him, but they had no opportunity to do so. But he rejoices in that. He rejoices in in their concern, but he tells them something truly amazing. He says, look, guys, thank you for caring about me, but everything is okay. Don't worry about me, because I've learned to be content. He says, guys, it's great that that you want to do something, but it's all right. I have learned to be content. And the reason this is so amazing is because of the conditions in which he's writing. He's writing in horrible. He's in a dungeon. Things are bad. But Paul tells us that there is a contentment that he possessed that overrode his circumstance. Are you catching that? 
He's not in denial. He's not being delusional. He's not deflecting. He's not avoiding the truth. He's at peace. He's fulfilled. He's rejoicing. He is unmoved. He's content. This is not something that naturally came to Paul. Nor does it come naturally to you and I. Paul tells us it was something (coughs) that he had to learn. It was something that he had to learn. And this word learned is a a word that we really do need to consider because it, it means to appraise or to value or to increase or to be informed by. Literally, this word at its root is the same word for disciple. He said, well, what does that mean? It means that Paul had, through the process of time, disciplined himself to be content. Now, notice also Paul uses this phrase, to be. It's not positive mental attitude. It's, it's not a hopeful outlook or, or a positive confession, but it was a state of being. It was and is who he was. Literally, contentment was something he learned that became a part of his character. Are you hearing me? We all do this. We just don't recognize it, whether it's in a negative personality or a positive personality. Mean-spirited or kind and gentle, generous or stingy, happy or dark and sullen. Whether you are the life of the party or the wet blanket, content or discontent, it is a state of being that you have made a part of your character through the process of learned behavior. Paul had, through the process of time, disciplined his life to be independent or literally unmoved by eternal or external, I should say, circumstances. He says, I'm making a choice to believe that don't matter in the end. He says, he says this in another place. He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, the things that I can see... They're temporary. He says, I've learned over the process of time that things change. Sometimes they get good. Sometimes they get bad. But they change. Sometimes they change in my favor. Sometimes they don't. But they change. The things that I see are subject to change. But the things that I can't see, the the, the relationship that I have with God, this connection with God, that doesn't change. And that is eternal. And that overrides my present circumstance. Now this was not demanded of him. It was not expected of him. It was not forced or coerced. He chose to look beyond his circumstance. He looked beyond his weakness. Beyond his problems. And I can tell you, church, let me me just say that This ain't an easy process. It's hard. Sometimes what we have to do is just stop and go, you know what, God? I don't care what everything says. I don't care about all of that out there. You know what I care about is you and me. That's what I'm going to care about. And I'm choosing to believe that you're for me. I don't care what the circumstances say. I don't care what the evidence says. 
Amen. The evidence may be, in fact, that life is stacked against you. It was for the children of Israel, but God overrode the evidence. Pharaoh was in hot pursuit. He was determined to kill them. That was not in question. There was an Egyptian garrison on one side, and there was mountains on the other, and their backs were against the Red Sea, and it was the fact. It was evidentiary true. But God said, I'm going to override the evidence. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to make a way through the, through the ocean. And you're going to walk through on dry ground. And the, and the soldiers you see today, you won't see ever again. I'm going to do something beyond the circumstances. And Moses said, I trust that. And the Bible says that he stepped out and he began to walk and the water parted and they went across. Why? Because God is not subject to our circumstance. See, Paul found on the other side of his circumstances a loving father. He found a savior filled with strength and power that was willing to show him strong in his behalf. He found a high priest that was in every way, in every experience, tested just like him. He found a peace that passed all understanding, a joy that was unspeakable and perfect satisfaction. Paul learned to be content. And so can you. And as I bring this to a close tonight, I I want you to think about some things with me because in Scripture, there's some very significant things that Paul begins to reveal to us. And, And we begin to see what this contentment of his was built upon. When you look back and you go back a little bit further in the chapter from our text, going all the way back to verse 1, the Bible says this. Listen to these words. He says, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, this is an interesting scripture because if you're not careful, you can get lost in its poetry. So I'm going to take a little poetry out of it. It says, therefore, this is how you should stand in the Lord. Okay, so the therefore is therefore for a reason. Are you hearing me? Everything that he had said in chapter 3 was why he's telling them for this reason. This is how you stand. He says, look at, he goes all the way back to chapter 3 and he reminds them, he says, look at, I told you about how that you need to reach out and press towards the high calling. And I told you about how good God was and I told you about everything that I lost. I counted rubbish for the knowledge, the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus as my Savior. And he begins to expound on that and he says, that and that alone is how you stand. See, this contentment begins and ends with Christ, doesn't it? It begins with knowing him. It begins with walking in him. If we only walk in him one hour a week on Sunday or Saturday or whatever church service we come to, then we're going to find discontentment more often. We need to walk with him daily. We need to press into him. We need to stand in him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
He says, therefore, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord. He says, I want you to know I've learned some things. He says, I've learned that God is good. Then in verse 4 of chapter 4, he moves on and he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, you know what you need to do? Is you need to take pleasure in your God. You need to rejoice in Him. You need to worship Him. Praise Him. Rejoice and celebrate in Him. You know, church, we, over the years, the Christian church has become so um, concerned about appearances and we've even got the whole politically correct thing going on and, and we get all kinds of stuff. Sometimes what we need to do is we just need to break out of the mold a little bit and rejoice. We, you know, American culture, in American culture, we can rejoice at so many things. We can rejoice at football games. We can rejoice at basketball games. We can rejoice at winning the lottery. We can rejoice at at a sale at Walmart. Some of you will rejoice. I've never been able to figure this out. Not yet. But some of you rejoice in saving five cents at the gas pump. You'll spend $30 to save five cents. I got me a deal. Where did you get it? Well, I had to drive to Yuma, but praise God, I got a tank of gas, five cents cheaper a gallon. Well, it took two tanks to get it. (laughs) Maybe that's too close to the button, too. I don't know. But we rejoice in things, don't we? We know how to rejoice. We get in church, it's like, laughter dude no laughing in the front row I'd rather have you in the front row Shannon because then I can keep an eye on you You know, what I'm in, the, in the back row you're just running amok that's crazy <laughs> we just we, we need to rejoice we need to be happy yeah just what was it? Wasn't there a song? Was there a song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? You know, we need that, man. We, we need that. We need to rejoice. And that's what he's saying in Philippians 4, 4. Do you know when you do that, that births contentment in you? He goes on and he says this. Listen to this. In verse 6, he says, <clears throat> Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He says, you know what? Don't worry about anything. I, I, I think we ought to change that and say, don't worry about anything. Because apparently we ain't getting that yet. Wait, 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 time out. Let me explain that. I have counseled people in this room... And they're convinced God's not moving in the presence of that statement. Well, I don't know. I don't know if God can do it. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if he's going to pull this one off. With God, all things are possible. Then he says, but you know what? Instead of worrying, take it to God in prayer. 
Pray about everything. You lost your hamster? Pray about it. Your shoes come untied? Either tie them or pray about it. I've fallen and I can't get up. Pray. He said, what, why are you saying? Because I'm, I'm trying to find the, the silliest things that we can, we can ever do. Why? Because you, do you understand that God will hear that prayer? Let me tell you something. I, I know you're a hamster. You lost your hamster. Your goldfish is sick. He's losing his scales. I don't know. You know, somewhere along the line, if you care about it, God cares about it. Well, isn't God too big in heaven? He don't care about my goldfish losing his scales. Sir, sir if you care about it, he cares about it. But I'm a little worried about that. Don't worry. Pray. Lift that goldfish up to the Lord. Lift that. And I know that I'm being a little facetious, but listen, it's on purpose because when it really comes to the things that matter, then we'll have trained ourselves to pray. And we'll say, you know what, God, thank you. Because when God heals your goldfish, he'll go, thank you, Jesus. My goldfish had no scales. And now he does. Only God can do that. I don't care how good you are. That's a pretty impressive miracle. Come on. We'll thank him. Don't worry about anything. Everything in prayer. And thank him for everything. You know what happens when you do that? Great contentment. Then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, he tells us to alter our mind. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, things that are noble, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, whatever's of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. Think about that. Well, I don't know if there's anything good. Well, let me tell you, if you can think, that's good. That's a good thing. Think about the fact that you have the ability to think. Think about the fact that you can take air into your lungs. Think about the fact that he wrote this love letter, this awesome book to you so that you could know him. Thank him. If you begin to practice thanking him, you will begin to see how to think on the right things. Because all of a sudden it will start consuming your thought life. When you think on good things, when you think on the right things, all of a sudden great contentment begins to rise. Then in verses 11 and 12, he says, Not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned whatever state that I am in to be content. This is out of our text. He says, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. What is he saying? He says, I've learned how to live outside of my external circumstances. He says, I've learned. I've learned how to have a lot of money. And I've learned how to have no money. He says, that changes. He said, the one thing that I have learned is God doesn't in all of that. Because he finishes it up. He says, he goes, this is why I've learned this. He goes, because I've discovered that I can do, this is verse 13, all things through Christ because he strengthens me. (laughs) He said, I can do this. Whatever's in front of me, I can do it 
because Christ is strengthening me. Church, we're in the season where great joy should be felt. We should be celebrating and, and reveling in the fact that God sent Jesus to walk as a man, to live, to die, and to raise again. And he gave us this season. Oh, there will be those that will tell you that he was born in May. And May, December 25th, I don't care. I'm glad he was born. December 25th just happens to be the day I celebrate his birth. I don't know what day he was born on. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. I'm just glad he was. And I don't think we should get lost in the technicality of that. I don't think that we should shoot Santa or tear down Christmas trees. You know, you can worship anything. And I know there's people that come and they'll say, well, you know, Christmas trees, they're of the devil. And I've never once in 52 years worshipped the Christmas tree, not once. Not one time. We set it up, and, and quite honestly, I, I, I can take it or leave it in that sense, but you know what the reality is? It's him that I care about. It's him. It's him. And you know what I want for Christmas? Here's what I want for Christmas. I want to be content. I just want to rest. I want to take a deep breath and go, wow. You know what, dude, I'm saved. I'm saved. I got a great wife, man. I have great kids. I pastor a great church. I mean, I, I don't know what there is in my life to complain about. Oh, I can find them. I can get you a list if you're interested. But you know what, church? All that ever did was just further the plan of the devil. See, the devil knew that if he could get Eve discontented, that she would eventually eat. She would actually go for it. And that was his strategy all along. So this year, this season, this Christmas, you know what I want? I want to be content. And here's the funny thing about it. That isn't going to be a Christmas gift you give me. And here's even funnier. It's not going to be a Christmas gift God gives me. It's going to be a gift I give myself. Because it's going to be something where I say, you know what, self? Shut up. Be content. Just chill, man. It's okay. You've got it going on. It's really, really good. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had together. and Lord, we thank you, God, for this wonder of your word. We thank you that <coughs> you have revealed this to us. And though, Lord, we poke fun at our human nature and we kind of get silly sometimes, we know that this is a serious thing. And Father, we are asking for your help. We think of verse 13 in Philippians 4 where it says, Through Christ we can do all things. We ask for your strength that this holiday season that we would take a, a, a chapter out of Paul's life 
be content. To be content with what we have. Knowing that at the end of the day, we have you and you have us. And that, Father, everything in our life is subject to change. Except you, you never change. You love us, you care for us, and you never forsake us. And I'm asking you, Father, that you would help us to make that decision to learn to be content, to practice it, to do the things that you've prescribed out of Philippians 4. And Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just before you stand this evening, let me give you one piece of homework. This text came out of Philippians 4. My, my encouragement to you would be this, that you would take the next week and read chapter 3 and chapter 4 every day and meditate on them. Listen to them. Read them slowly. Don't just breeze through and go, well, I read it. Read it and look at it. Take some of the commas and the poetry and move some of that aside so you can get the connections of of what he's saying and allow that richness of that word where Paul talks about saying, you know what, the thing that I desired most was the excellency of the knowledge of him. When he begins to talk about that and he talks about all the, the pressing forward and the reaching forth, being driven by the high call of Christ. And as he wanders through that and he comes back into verse one and he says, this is how you stand in Christ. This is how you stand in God with that understanding. Because see, it goes all back to identity and relationship, doesn't it? Because that's what he's all about. And then begin to meditate on what Paul tells us to do about the things that he instructed us. And let that change your life. Can you say amen? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? Our prayer team is coming. If you have a need of any kind, come on up and let them pray for you. We're going to release the rest of you. You have a great weekend. God bless you. We'll see you next week.